0: Hi everyone. Welcome back to the Words of Dragons podcast. Today is another QA and you guys sent in some really good questions, so I'm really excited. This one is also gonna probably be ironically enough maybe or maybe it suits it because it was Valentine's Day very recently. but this episode is actually gonna have maybe the biggest raylum slant any of the podcasts has had. So get excited. Um, as always, if you want to send in questions or like I currently don't have any requests um, for any like watch along commentary. So if you have an episode you want to send in, uh, please feel free to do so just at Raylum with two A's. Um, as always, just not mat- just mark it with an asterisk. So I know it's marked for the podcast um, or for any other sorts of questions. And yeah, let's Dig in. So the first two questions are from Nicole with the Soul. Thank you for sending them in. And the first is, how did you get into the Dragon Prince fandom? I got into the fandom when it was probably I was I already had a side block made by like the summer before the show came out. I was so so excited. Um, partially because obviously I knew some of the same people who had worked on Avatar were working on the show. Um, but I also just love high fantasy in general and I actually do know some of Justin Richmond's work um, from the Uncharted games. I am familiar with them. They're really, really cool, fun games that have like really nice senses of like Wonder or whatever. And I've I've talked a bit, I think, uh, before on the podcast about how like I can see Justin's sort of influence there. And I'm really, I'm sure we'll see even more of it when we actually get to the Dragon Prince video game. And honestly, anything with dragons, I'm at least willing to give a shot. And I was really hoping at first that the show would be 2D animation. So I was a little disappointed when it wasn't. But I was so, when I saw the teaser trailer, I was like, okay, this looks really, really cool, really good. Um, I'm not loving the animation, but I'm sure it'll grow on me. And then I watched the first episode and I was like, oh yeah, this is fine. I I have no issues with it. Um, But yeah, I have been in the fandom from when on Twitter we were getting Callum and Ezra and Briella's just names. We didn't know their names at first. So I've been here for a long time. I've loved it. The show did not disappoint whatsoever. Um, and then, so, yeah, I just, I saw some of the people who were working on it, but I'm always down for a good animated show. Um, that's especially high fantasy with dragons and elves and whatever. So I would have watched it regardless. Um, but yeah. That's how I got into the show. No regrets. Um, And then the next question from Nicole this whole is, what inspired you to start writing? So I'm going to first answer for what inspired me to start writing with The Dragon Prince. And then as a more maybe like general question for what inspired me to start writing in general. Clearly, because I'm so good with my words. Um, And so... For the Dragon Prince, when I went to the show, one of my concern not concerns, but let's just say that was sometimes I'll watch a show and it'll be amazing and it'll be one of my favorites, but I don't really have any inspiration to write for it. Like for me, um DreamRix Troll Hunters was a lot like that. And for the How to Train a Dragon fandom, which I adore and the franchise that I adore, I wrote a little bit for it in the beginning and then I haven't written for it in years. Although I wrote like a brief little one shot based after the third movie, but like beyond, you know, like I wrote for it first and then kind of my my inspiration for that petered out. Um, and then like for sure, Trollenters, didn't write it at all. I've loved after Thustderbender basically my whole life never written a thing for it you know so sometimes I'll i can adore something so so much but it doesn't really creative ins- creatively inspire me um and i was really hoping to find something new that could creatively inspire me because the previous fandom that had done so was voltron i feel like that's enough said <laughs> um so i was hoping that at the very least either the dragon prince or she-ra Princess of power because those were coming out a few months of each other i was like I, I was hoping that The Dragon Prince would be what inspired me creatively and then The she could be more of my usual um, almost like secondary passion show. I usually tend to have at least one fandom that I'm like really, really active in and then another show slash like smaller fandom that I really enjoy and like I'll consume content for to a degree, but I'm not actively contributing. It's good for me to have a balance and I just kind of fall into that pattern naturally Um, So I was so, so pleased, like, day of when The Dragon Prince came out and I watched it, that I was like, oh, like, I can really sink my teeth into this universe and have fun and really explore the characters. And obviously the wait for season two wasn't super long, but it almost felt like no time at all. I was just having so much fun. And obviously, like, Rayla and Callum going into the show, I already had seen a screen cap, I already shipped them a little but I was just really down for whatever the show did. I was like, I might completely bro TP them. I might ship them both with other people. Who knows? Um, and then season one was amazing and gave so much richness to their bond, like immediately that I was just so enamored and drawn to. No matter which way the series would take it, like platonic we'll or romantic, I was I was equally on board. Um, and it was just so fun for me to explore. So yeah, I guess that's how I got in with the Dragon Prince. And then for writing in general. I was a small child, basically, and I read Harry Potter. And it wasn't necessarily what made me start writing, but it was what made me realize that writing books was, like, a thing. Like, I had already been, like, writing stories since I could hold a pen or a pencil, basically, like, since the age of four. Um, really, really active imagination and dream world and that sort of thing. But then when I read Harry Potter a few years after... um. It suddenly like clicked and I, I've just never looked back. So I've been seriously writing for, oh God, um, close to like 12 years now, which is kind of crazy. Um, and then one of the biggest things that happened to me was when I got into fandoms about, um, again, like nine years ago, it's been a long time. Um, and I realized that like people were doing what I had also been already been doing my whole life and just having that writing community. Um, so right now I predominantly write in my free time. I write, um, a high fantasy war series that has reincarnation and dragons and that sort of thing. So it's almost like a combination between Avatar Less Darebender and the dragon prince. Um, but that's, it's always been like my baby kind of, I've had the world since I was like four and it's really grown up with me and been developed and all that sort of thing, and yeah, I love it. I'm really proud of it. I still have a long, long way to go, but it's coming along nicely. I'm almost 100,000 words into the latest book draft, and I'm quite happy with it. Um, But yeah, I guess I've just always been a writer. It was more so like getting the pieces put together. Um, And then now more for The Dragon Prince, so... Escapist one, he asked, "Is there any particular plotline or character dynamic that you wanted to see more of in all of the Dragon Prince so far?" I know I've already talked about how I really want to see more of Ezran and Rayla's bond. I would also love to see more of Ezran and Soren's bond in particular, just because I think they have such a opportunity to be like just such good friends and almost like surrogate sort of siblings for each other, particularly after season three. Um, I would love to see more of Janai and Renan and Athari. I, I'm really curious about them. I also recently realized that, like, Lane and Teadrin probably would have known Ibis. And I was like, I kind of want to write something about their friendship. Or, you know, Ibis kind of seen, like, almost two generations of Dragon Guard with, like, Lane and Teadrin. And realizing, like, they didn't run away. And then seeing Cal and Rayla kind of... Obviously, like, Calum's maybe not going to be a dragon guard, but like them almost being the new couple at the Spire, and I like my generational parallels, so I'm I'm quite pleased about that. Um, but one thing I would love to see more of, and this is just very niche and catered to me, honestly, is and I, I make posts about it sometimes, but I have much, I have many more feels <laughs> than I sometimes communicate. But um, is Viren. And Soren and Claudia and Callum and Ezra and, and like, this that childhood of the kids all growing up together because it almost makes where they are now hurt even more. And I'm just so fascinated by, like, what Viren's relationship with Ezra and Callum was, like – how did it change? How was it before with Callum before Sarai died? And how was it afterwards? Did he ever babysit them? Because, like, Callum clearly trusts him. And then he finds out about the egg, and he just completely, like, snaps and just completely turns on Viren. So, like, is that just Callum being particularly, like, ruthless in that moment? Because he's realizing that, like, Viren lied lie about the egg, and that caused the elves to decide to kill Ezra. Like, You know, I'm just, I'm really curious as to how how and why that was possible for him. Um, And I just, for me, the tragedy or like sympathy of Viren's character is like, he's turned out this way. And I think it makes sense for him. But I always get a sense for when we have the flashbacks, particularly in like season two, before Sarai dies. That like he didn't have to be like this. And like that's the tragedy of it. And that like in another world like things could have been a lot better or I don't know. So I would just love to see more of Viren and Callum and Ezrin's bond. Just just to have awareness of what it was like before. I would also really like to know how Ezrin got bait. Because I just think that must be an adorable story somewhere for it. Um, and particular plotline, I guess I really want to know a lot more about Exadian politics and how that all works. And a character dynamic I would also really like to see is Gren and Sorin, because obviously they're both kind of a Maya's boys now, you know, in a way, like I think she and Janai have really kind of sort of adopted Soren. Um... But so Goren and Soren now are very much on the same side, but they would have to have a conversation at one point of Soren being like, sorry, I changed you up in a dungeon and Goren just being so good nature. He's like, eh, you know, it could happen to anyone like that sort of thing. So I'd be curious to see how that goes. And I'm always here for seeing more of Ezrin and his council and him maturing into king and that sort of thing. Um I would also love to see like more Sarai and Amaya maybe and like how they handled the shift from being like non-royalty to technical royalty and just their sisterhood because we get glimpses of it and I would love more. Um, But yeah, that's it. Then the lovely Jolly J asked, what are your personal Raylum baby headcanons? I don't know if this means like what Raylum was like as babies or what their babies would be like. So I'm going to do a little bit of both. Um, so for Rayla and Callum as babies, I picture Callum being, like, a very sort of, like, he's always really looking at things, and it's always really curious. Like, we know he was, he's very observant. So him just really paying attention to things as a kid. And I like to think that maybe, like, one of his earliest memories is maybe, like, sitting on his dad's knee or something like that, like his blood father. Um, and I think that, He was always maybe kind of a, I think he was really close to both of his birth parents and probably didn't really understand why one day his dad didn't come back. My poor boy. Oh, my God. Um, And then, obviously, with Sarai, I think he was clearly very comfortable. And I I wouldn't be surprised if after he had this slight awareness to understand why his dad wasn't there or that his dad wasn't there, he probably clung even more so to his mom because there was that, like, is mom going to go to that sort of fear? Um, But I think overall, he was probably a very sort of like good natured, maybe not smiley, but like just very like calm child who has a pair of lungs, clearly. So the crying must have been awful when it did happen. But overall, a really good kid. I think that. Rayla probably grew up as a baby with Renan and Athari already around all the time. Renan did not know how to handle babies and then he got used to it, I think. Um, Athari maybe, I almost like the idea of Athari maybe being even more awkward holding Rayla in some ways because he's like, I know how to like craft really delicate instruments for war, but like, this is a bait. I don't know. I just like the idea of like, you would think it would be Renan, but it's not. Athari is actually the one who had a bit more of a hurdle to get over. And then, obviously, yeah, Rayla was just the cutest damn kid. Took her to the Adora Bromeo early. Yeah. And then, for Rayla having babies after the war, I actually had canon them having, and obviously, like, I'm, if we do get to see Rayla fan babies, they're going to be my kids now. So I'm, I'm ready to dismiss my OCs. But, you know, but right now I currently really picture them having a firstborn son who is a bit maybe more like Callum in nature and eventually becomes like goes and leaves to become Ezrin's high mage and stuff. Um, and he's I think he's like more quieter and a bit shyer than each of his parents. He doesn't really have their fire. Um, but he has a really, really good heart and he's a really good teacher. And I think he'd make one hell of a mage. And I think one of the things he would have in common with his dad is that he would be a protective big brother. Because I also picture them having a daughter maybe like three or four years afterwards named like Junior or something. And she very much is like her mother's daughter, like has a lot of spit fire in her and like a really great sense of humor. But I wonder if she maybe she would have a bit more trouble being connected to her in Arcanum. So magically... She's a little bit insecure, like maybe she can't do all the Moonshadow Elf powers that her brother can or something like that. Um, and I just picture her dragging her big brother into like all sorts of trouble and then they kind of like get out. But overall, I think they'd be really good kids with like good heads on their shoulders because like, they know what their parents fought for and they know how different the world and different and better the world is now. And yeah... Those are kind of my Raylan baby headcanons, but part of me does want to write a thing or a list of headcanons more about them and also like the fan children that I've given Ezra and Ellis because I will row that ship all on my own. And the Raylan babies deserve cousins, so off to Ezra we go. Um, but yeah, thank you for sending that in. And then this is a kind of more fantasy general question from my new groove, which is. How do you feel about books with less developed magic rules, like Harry Potter, The Night Circus, etc., versus the fantasy authors that describe their magic systems in detail? So the way I've kind of heard it referred to is that there's like soft magic systems, which tend to be more emotional based and like or character arc based and less uh, hard rules, and then there's hard magic systems, which are like the opposite. Um, and the one example that everyone points to is Fullmetal Alchemist, which I still have not seen. I want to, I know. I just haven't had the time to read subtitles, but I do want to watch it. I know it's amazing. I'll know I'll be trash for Rory and Riza. I will get to it. I'll let you know when I get to it. Um, but yeah, so personally, I can only really speak for Harry Potter because I have not read The Night Circus, although it is on my to-read list, which is a very, very long list of books. Um... And Harry Potter, personally, I feel like it it's this balance between like some of the magic is really, really defined, you know, but then obviously like there are the exceptions and like certain wizards can do like nonverbal magic or one list magic. So like you can you can't okay, you can't pull things out of your ass per se, but you can kind of, you know, like bend the rules a bit more and that sort of thing. Um and then I guess for something I tend personally. To write more, I guess you would say softer magic systems, because of the way magic works in my world. Almost no one has powers except the eight individuals who are tied to this reincarnation cycle, and each of them is tied to like something different, so they'll have different sorts of powers. So one of my character has like my protagonist has life-related powers. Um, <coughs> so there's a very like set rule for like what those powers entail, like transforming into animals or connecting through dreams, or something like that, Um, but it is very much based on emotion. It is very much tied to character arcs of, like, as you grow up and mature and kind of, like, almost, like, deal with your emotional baggage, you'll probably have an easier time using some of your powers. Um, Sometimes powers will, like, skip generations or skip a lot of generations, Um, so there's that, Um, but there are, I think the main thing for me in some ways, the way I think of it, is, like, how many limits do you wanna have? Because if you're with the soft magic system, you're probably gonna have less limits to what your magic can and cannot do or like where and how it can and cannot be used. Um, and if you have a hard magic system, obviously you're gonna have way more limits. And I feel like both really have their merits. Um, but I think that you need to pick what works best for your story. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if my magic system gets more and more detailed now that I've kind of worked out some of the kinks and stuff over the past, like, four-ish years I've been writing this iteration. Um, And then for something like a hard magic system, I feel like in some ways you have to – I feel like both have their own pros and cons because with a hard magic system, you really have to make sure that you're never going to get yourself into a corner that you can't get yourself out of using that system, I suppose. But it can also be really, really great for having all those restrictions in terms of like causing conflict or not necessarily having easy solutions. You know, for soft magic, for, I can't talk, for soft magic systems, I think that you also, again, you can back your characters and maybe into more corners and you can maybe like do a bit more. um, But you still have to toe the line of making sure that like, even if you're introducing something new or you're, twisting something a little you never break your right your suspension of disbelief for your readers and that you never push it too far and one of the things that I do for that is I always make sure that like all of my kids all of their powers have like intense intense consequences whether it's like you use too much of your powers at all and you'll just pass out because you pushed it too far um or like for example Um, my protagonist, because she has life powers, she is in the middle of a war, um, but as she grows up and as she becomes, like, stronger, um, she starts to feel the pain she physically inflicts on other people, so if she stabs someone, it'll be delayed, but eventually, like, maybe a couple minutes later, she'll feel like she's stabbed, um, because it goes against her powers to, like, kill and murder, even though she's in a war. The powers don't really care about why you're doing something violent, only that you are, um, so she has to contend with that. So, like, her powers can also really, really help her. But even if she's using her powers to inflict pain, her powers are also going to then bite her in the butt. And that was something that, um, After Lost and Mender actually really inspired me with with its use of having the Avatar state be where Aang is the most powerful but also the most vulnerable. I really liked that duality and having a really concrete reason as to why the characters really just can't do whatever they want and not like there's always a risk with using their powers and they always have to be aware of when they're pushing those risks, which is basically the embodiment of the chapter I'm currently on it's going to be a lot. I'm really excited, but I'm also going to cry about it. Um, so yeah, I would say that whether you want a soft or a hard magic system, I think both can be really, really great. I think the Dragon Prince itself, I feel like in some ways, it. I don't know if we know enough about the, sy- the magic system in that world yet to tell. I feel like maybe it leans a little bit more towards hard magic slightly, just because like, there's a bit more steps and stuff like that. Like you can't, you, you do, you can't, there's no like unintentional magic. Like you're always doing magic with intention, I guess. Like, you know, maybe if you're born with the Arcanum, then it's a little bit different. But for Calum, it's very, very intentional. Like he wants to cast a spell. He has to think about it. He has to know it, draw it, have the trigger word, aim it. It's the whole thing. You know, there's no Harry Potter where there's like unintentional or accidental magic happening. At least not yet. Um, but I feel like the Dragon Prince has a really good balance between the soft side of magic with the character arcs and emotional stuff being tied to it and the hard magic system that makes it feel like this is something you can really learn on your own and practice at and get better. So, yeah, I think they're great. Um, the next two questions, so, and the last two questions, so we're almost done, is um, from Ray Learn. And they asked, I would love to hear more about your favorite Raylum kiss and why. My favorite Raylum kiss is the final one in 305 when it's their first real mutual one after the forehead touch. And I love it because it's so soft and they're just so relieved and happy. And you really do get the sense that like not only have they been through like a couple of really long, difficult days and it's just been a really hard few weeks for them just in general. Like Rayla in particular with losing her home and her family. And then obviously they lost Zim and they almost died like four times out in the midnight desert and just everything there. Then obviously like the fact that their relationship was also really rocked in 304 with Rayla not wanting to open up and then obviously like the kiss misunderstanding there. And you really get the sense that like they're really letting themselves breathe for the first time um, in that kiss of just that like sense that like everything is okay now. And I just love the relief and tenderness in it and the fact that it's also kind of a hug and it's just so soft and I just love it so much and yeah. I just love them. It's so good. Um, but I do have a few other favorite kisses from them. And all their kisses are great. So it's nice that we get to choose a favorite. <laughs> and then the last question is, what is the your favorite The Dragon Prince meta you've ever written and why? I cheated because I could not just pick one. Maybe that's kind of conceited, but it's true. I was trying to narrow it down and I was going through my personal fave tag to see if that would help. And it did not. And so this is going to be just a short little list and a couple of reasons why. So the most recent one that I've written that I'm really, really proud of is my 308 dissection. But it's your choice, no one else's. I It was the episode that meant the most to me for them as a couple in the season. And it was really, really fun getting to just talk about why and everything that goes into that not only their argument, but their resolution and how it really does make them stronger. And it's just such an important hurdle for them as partners, as friends, as lovers. Um, and just the respect Callum shows her and the space and support. And the fact that then can like really fully starts to really let him in this episode in a way I don't think she ever quite did before. And it's just really heartwarming to see. And I thought I made a lot of good arguments in that meta. It was also quite long. It was like uh, 3,600 words. So I was just really happy when it was done. Um, Another one that I really like, because I always come back to it for myself, and it was a really kind of benchmark of season two for me, was Moral quandaries, how Callum changed Rayla's life, which is basically how Rayla's fear of hesitation that she carries with her in season one, partially because of Renan, partially because of her own internalized shit, um, how Callum really helps her take that away in season two um, when she realizes about when she learns to live to break the cycle the way that he first mentioned all the way back in season one and how that by extension, his idea takes away her hesitation. And we see that when she decides to go after the dragon, she says like, no, this is different. and how much he's affected her viewpoint. And I loved seeing that continue on to season three, but the benchmark of it, the turning point I think really was in 207. So I just really liked getting right about that. And I still remember when I realized that that was the case, like I was like, why is the word hesitate? Like really like sticking in my head right now? Like what what is it about her saying that in 207? And then I went back and I was like, oh, obviously. Um, But yeah, that was great. And it's also, one of the things where I, I expected a lot of things in going into season two, I was like, please let them hug. You know, I really, really want to hug. But I was not expecting really to admit that he changed her life. And it was just such an unexpected blessing. And again, like, it's one of those things where it's like romantic or platonic. I don't care. All I care about is that they're helping each other become happier, better people. And they really, really are. And this was just like an embodiment of it. So I loved getting to write about that. Uh, the next meta to make it right, how Raylam intersects, I think, in my personal opinion, is a little bit underrated. Um, it was really fun to just go through and look at all the ways their arcs almost move in circles around each other. And it's definitely a similar sort of idea that I'm going to return to in a meta in the future that I have currently have on the back burner about Raylam and identity, because the way these two... Under they're they're on one level they're such different characters and people and you would think like what could they possibly have in common when you get to the core of their issues and when you get to like who they really are and who they want to become they really are such similar people and I think you really see them find that sort of kinship in each other and I was actually just reading a fan fiction earlier yesterday which is one of my favorites called um, Pieces of Journey. And I'm not going to say the author because I know I'll mispronounce the name, but it is an amazing fic. Just look it up. Pieces of Journey on AO3. It's so long. It's so good. Um, But the most recent chapter kind of highlighted those sort of like similar insecurities they both carry. And I just loved that so, so much. And so I really liked writing this meta because I felt like I really got to highlight that and how they're helping each other complete their arcs. And again, we see that really come full circle in season three. So maybe I'll do an update, but I really like that one and I'm obviously when I say underrated I'm like it's not like oh I don't think it got enough attention I don't think that I'm really happy you guys like any of my meta because I mostly just write them for me um but yeah I think it was one of my most well-argued ones or constructed ones so I'm still quite proud of it and it's based off parallels which are my favorite things so that's nice um the next meta that I personally really like is Cute Break, though, which I wrote about Claudia in season one and season two. I just really liked getting to explore her character and talk about more, like, who she is and why she is the way she is. And I thought it was a really, like, sort of succinct look at. Look at, like, who she is as a person and why and how, like, she's not necessarily a bad person. She's not necessarily a good person. She just is who she is, which is, like, I would say... A lot of characters are like obviously like I do I think Cal and really are good and Ezra are good people yes you know but like there's there's also more grayness there and everyone can make mistakes and just to see why Claudia makes the choices that she does good and bad ones and just kind of like it was really fun to get into her head and to really think about how she compartmentalizes and why um, and it's one of the reasons why her arc in season three made me sad for her, but I was not surprised whatsoever. And why I also think that she can get to a better place, um, and just be happy, happier than she is now, um, hopefully. So, yeah, I just really enjoyed that one. And it's also fun for me to write about characters in different contexts than I usually necessarily write about. Like, I really would love to do an Ezra and a Soren Sorin meta individually for each of them at one point particularly because I love Azran. Part of me wants to hold out because I feel like season four is going to give me what I want for it but we're just gonna have to wait and see. Um, the next meta that I wrote uh, it was Viren plus religious symbolism or Christian symbolism. I think that this is just this is just one I had So much fun writing. I grew up Christian. I no longer identify as such, but I still do have a lot of biblical knowledge stored in my head by extent, by proxy. Um, So it was really, really fun to really dig into it and look beyond maybe like the surface level of season three because I know when he parted the breach, I was like, oh, it's like Moses parting the Red Sea. And then my brain was like, let's actually like really think about this. And it was just really, really fun. And I always love looking for religious or Christian or mythological symbolism and just about anything um so it was just really nice to write and really cool to see something more cohesive and coherent come together so yeah it was just really really fun and yet again it makes me absolutely terrified for when Erebos gets out of the mirror and then one of the one one of the metas I wrote after season two came out, but purely about season one, was Callum running after Rayla, which looked at 104, 105, 106, and 109. And that was one of the things I, it was a parallel I realized in their dynamic in season one that I really, really enjoyed of like, each time he goes after her for different reasons, Um, and kind of how it changes. Like in 104, he's worried he's offended her with the bloodthirsty elf assumption. Uh, And then in 105, he's kind of being a little shit because he's like, are you sure? Like, you don't want to go on the boat? Like, is there a reason, you know? And then in 106, he's being quite serious of like, you can't just tell us to leave camp suddenly without a good reason. Like, how is that fair? And then 109, of course, he sees that she's upset about something she's seen in the caldera and he runs after her and he asks, are you okay? And unlike in 105 and unlike in 106, this time, she lets him in, and she says, like, it was, I saw something, and it was awful. Um, so I really, really liked that dynamic that they had, and then season two didn't really continue it, as I've said before, because Callum had a lot of shit going on, um, and Brayla was more so his support, and it's one of the things I'm perhaps proudest of in some ways, because it was one of the things that I loved most about their dynamic from the very beginning, And then watching that come back in season three in such consistent and rewarding ways and having maybe more of the fandom notice that side of their dynamic. You know, now it's kind of a staple of if you write anything Raylan related, you're probably going to include that aspect of them. And it was just really rewarding to see something that I thought was really sweet and intentional, very much be so and be consistent and come back, um, in even more emotionally poignant ways. And I love it. It's one of my favorite things about their dynamics. So I'm just super, super happy it's there. And then the last meta that I want to talk about, um, it's actually something that Ray Lauren said something very very nice about in, her, in their tags, and I almost cried. So thank you for that compliment. That was very sweet. Um, was about Raylum and loneliness from season one to season three. And then I've talked, I think a bit maybe on the podcast before about it, but at least on like a text post at one point. I've had like season three in a lot of ways confirmed for me what I had already figured about Rayla's childhood, because I remember when I was writing. Um, in search of silver linings with my writing partner, we leaned in at one point to Rela having self-loathing tendencies, and I had a moment where I was like, "Where did I? Where did I get that from? Like, where did I get this aspect of her from?" Because I couldn't, obviously, when you write a character and you build your own sort of characterization from them, you're drawing from source material, but you're also extrapolating for things that, like, the source material doesn't let you see. So it's possible to make things that are purely an invention and still, like, fit because it's a logical conclusion or next step or aspect or what have you for that character, Um but I was trying I was thinking back and so normally when I do write fanfiction, I do something I call tracing, where um I will think of a character trait that I'm giving that character in my fanfiction and I'll be like, okay, where are you getting this specific thing from? And I have a really great memory for retaining stories and that sort of information. So I'll go back in my head and I'll almost like run through the episodes and being like, okay, where is it? Where is it? And I will pinpoint. It may just be like one line. So it may not. I may be making something like much bigger out something that's like very small in in show or in movie or whatever. But I'll trace it back to one specific thing, and I remembered how in 109, when Rayla breaks down about the egg, she just 100% blames herself for it. And even when Callum tries to alleviate that guilt and be like, no, like, this is on me, more so, like, I should have trusted you, she doesn't believe him. She can't let go of that conception that this is her fault just for dropping the egg, and... So that's where the self-loathing came from. And then obviously in season three, that returns in a massive way. Um, and we get to see a bit more hints about her childhood and how she grew up. And I just couldn't stop thinking about, like when you, when you watch a show, there's that layer. Um, but then for me, I tend to do something where I almost like emotionally inhabit characters, particularly when I write them, I get in their head. It's like, if I grew up in this world and this family and this place, like, what would I feel about it? You know, like, what would that be like for me beyond the surface level? Like, what are the emotions that will come with that? It's really, really useful for my own writing. And it's something I've definitely nurtured over the years as a writer. Um, so I'm very, very grateful for it. And so I did it with each, with both Rayla and Callum after season three. And even just things I had already been kind of thinking about Callum before then really clicked into place when I was like, he would have lost his mother at a really young age. And we know from season one, he like, there's was a conversation where really, he calls Harrow, sir, or he calls him my king. And like that's, it's been almost 10 years since Sarai died. And like when that's your primary parent for that long and you still don't feel comfortable, it just and I I, it's not Harrow's fault either but it just broke my heart and then obviously like you have Soren who is both Callum's friend and a bit of a bully because like he's not only saying things like Callum probably says to himself every day but like in this few scenes we see with Callum and Soren, Soren puts him down like in each one basically at least a couple of times and like you can assume that that's an everyday thing because we're seeing glimpses of Callum's everyday life. And so that clearly doesn't help matters. And then we know that Callum is really, really close to Ezrin, but obviously Ezrin's not a peer. He's his little brother. So there's always that like protective element there. Um, And then Claudia, who is probably someone Callum is like fairly close to, but he also probably always feels like there's a little bit of, of distance because Callum has a crush on her. And again, kind of like Harrow, It's not something Claudia can necessarily control, and it's not her fault, but it is something that exists all the same, and at least on Callum's side, it really impacts their bond. So I was just thinking, like, Callum didn't really have, like, just a friend, like, just a, a peer his age, who he could be fully open with, until Rayla came into his life, and, like, Rayla... Likewise, was probably kind of ostracized by the other kids for being intense. They probably didn't think she was very funny, although she is. She's hilarious. Because um, she had the parents who were special and away at the Dragon Guard. And then her parents supposedly run away. And then there's also, like, that societal shame and that sort of thing. And obviously, like, being a very intense at training. And, like, we never see her mention being at the adorable meadow with anyone or whatever and stuff like that um and so again just kind of like realizing that like Rayla would have been a pretty lonely kid and that's not to say either of them weren't happy they were overall happy kids they overall had pretty good childhoods all things considered but like as somebody I guess also like myself who's also felt like decently lonely for most of my life woohoo um I guess I just really understand how, like, you kind of go along in your life and you're fine and you're you're happy enough, I guess. And then someone just comes in and there's suddenly, like, almost everything you didn't know that you needed. And there – it's just such a big difference when you feel like you find your people or your person or just really having, like, a real best friend for the first time who's, like, really just yours in that way. Um, And it was just such an emotional – realization for me particularly watching them also like how he really help each other while also being a romance too of like Rayla who really doesn't like being vulnerable having to deal with falling in love and the sort of vulnerability that like that brings and really learning to let Callum be her partner and then obviously Callum who had been burned before romantically at the very least and then also obviously like not having his brother with him anymore and him really learning how to rely on Rayla and the way that like they really kind of fill in the gaps that they didn't even know were there and it just makes me really emotional to think of them as kids growing up separately and you know just kind of going through the motions of their lives and thinking like I'm okay with this like this is as good as it gets right I'm fine with it and not realizing that what they're actually doing is they're just waiting because this person is going to come in and make them happier, better people than they ever thought possible. And just really give each other like new senses of like self-worth and purpose. And just, it just got me. And I'm sure I could have said it maybe more eloquently than I did, but I do think I got the point across in that meta. And if I had to pick maybe just one, I probably would pick. Rayland and Loneliness, season one to season three. That probably would be the one I would pick. Um, And I feel like I've rambled on enough for that to be obvious. So um, thank you for joining me this week. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, feel free to send in more questions and requests. If you were interested in reading any of my meta, it's all on my blog at Rayland with two A's. I use my analysis series tag, which you can check. um, And I also have, that has... Everything in it that I've ever written that's like somewhat of a meta, and then I also have my general my meta tab that you can just click right there. Um, that has the big ones that I think are the most important, but if you want absolutely everything, go on to my quotations analysis series quotations tag and you'll find everything there. Um, and yeah, thank you for coming. I hope you enjoyed it. Dragons out.